great turnout for the core class. I believe all the cinnamon rolls, um, uh, we partook of those. And so that was great. Um, uh, by the way, if you say, hey, what is core class? Um, that is, sorry, I feel like Mr. Rogers. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Sorry. <laughs> Come on, everybody watch Mr. Rogers, right? I mean, he crossed seven generations. Come on. All right, here we go. Seven decades, I should say. Um, so anyway, uh, core class, great uh, turnout. And I just wanted to remind you what we're covering is a very intentional process of growing closer to the Lord. Um, so if, if you would like to grow closer to the Lord, uh, I would highly encourage you to be a part of this process. So it's not just attending a class. It's not just Sunday school. We are truly learning about God's identity and how he has revealed himself through his names. And I'm not going to go through the whole course syllabus right now, okay? But it, it just to know God and make him known is your life's mission, whether you know that or not. That's what you were created for. You were created to know Jesus and to make him known. It's that simple. It's that glorious. It's that beautiful. It's that mysterious. Amen? All right, Revelation chapter 2. We are at the end of the chapter. The church of Thyatira. That's fun, isn't it? Church of Thyatira. A message not so fun, by the way. <laughs> not, not, it's not such a feel-good message, I will definitely tell you that. Um, so the, the church of Thyatira, give me just a moment while I uh, switch accounts here uh, to be able to pull up what I need to. Let's see if it's going to work. Yes, there it is. Okay. Um, great. So we'll be in Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. Um, we are covering the early, the churches. This is Jesus' letters. So if you have a Bible where the words are written in red, you should see these in red because literally these are Jesus' words to the churches of Asia Minor. Okay, these are first century churches. Paul uh, was influential in planting many of these churches. But this is Jesus speaking through the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos. And he says, this is the word from Jesus to the churches. And so he who has an ear, let him hear. Um, so that's where we'll start out, verse 18. Uh, how many of you have ever um, put a wrong ingredient into a recipe? You ever done that, Tracy, with cakes? Never done that? No, I know you didn't you ever do that. So, by the way, that shower cake today, I'm just saying, I don't know. We'll see what happens, right? Yeah, we'll find out, right? Flour and sugar look a whole lot alike, right? Absolutely. Um, so, anybody ever done that? Yeah, right? Like, oh, man, I'm, I, I put the wrong, I can't remember what it was the other day that the wrong ingredient came in. Um, Hannah, I think Hannah was making something. I can't remember, and I was like, the wrong ingredient. Did I call you out? I can't remember. It was me. Okay, that's fine. Um, it was Micah, of course. Yeah, it was her. Um, and, but I've done that, right? Wrong ingredient can mess everything up. Can we agree with that? It just, it just takes, right? It can look the same, right? Can even smell very similar, which, I mean, flour and sugar don't have a lot of smell to them, right? But it can totally change the outcome, can it? Right? Today, the church of Thyatira that we're studying, we have a bad ingredient. We got a wrong ingredient. Okay? 
on the outside, the ingredient looks safe, good, pleasing. We would say this person looks like the, an upstanding church person, right? Because on the outside, good. But Jesus is calling out and pointing out and saying, <laughs> there's a Jezebel among you, okay? And if what we know about Jezebel, if you remember that, she was the most evil queen in Israel's history. King Ahab, Queen Jezebel, right? In fact, if you're called Jezebel, let me just tell you that's not a compliment, okay? If you think, oh, man, no, <laughs> and please, if you find a dog or an animal that's named Jezebel, stay away from it, okay? There could be a reason for that, but we find that there's a wrong ingredient in the church of Thyatira. Let's start right here with verse 18. So the angel of the church in Thyatira writes, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Woo, we're starting off hot and heavy. Would you say Jesus is coming on strong when the, right here? Okay, he is. And you're gonna see why. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what, to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will, prove, he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And we, we beg of you this morning, God, that you would teach us, Lord, from your written revelation, God, for we know that the word of God is living and active, so we know that you will speak to us today through your written word via the Holy Spirit. So, Holy Spirit, we pray that you will enlighten our minds, because we cannot understand apart from you shedding the light on our mind and helping us understand today. And God, we, we don't want to just hear this message and then go out and disregard it. God, we want to hear it. We want to apply it. And God, we need your Holy Spirit power to enable us to live it out. So we pray this in the authority and name of Jesus. Amen. Now, Thyatira is a smaller city compared to Pergamum and Ephesus 
okay, in Smyrna. This is a smaller city. In fact, we don't know a whole lot about it. It's only mentioned one or two other times in Scripture. We believe maybe somebody from Ephesus went to plant this church, that they were originally from Thyatira, so they were under Paul's ministry in Ephesus, and that they probably went back to their hometown, as did many folks. Um, This happened with Colossae, same thing. They went back, and they started churches in their homes. Why? Why would someone do that? Because when you have experienced the transforming power of the gospel, you want everybody in your sphere of influence to know that. Amen? And so that's what he was doing. And so we don't know exactly how Thyatira got started, but it's a smaller city, probably started from the work at Ephesus. And this is, by the way, (laughs) smallest city gets the longest letter. So they're getting the longest, the most words from from Jesus' letter here to the early churches uh, in Asia Minor. The first thing I want you to notice and you can write down is Jesus is serious about those who spread sin. Jesus is serious about spreading sin or spreading sin if that's how it's read. Yeah, obviously there's an A in there, okay? So anyway, uh, spreading sin. Um, Jesus is very serious about this. He says in verse 20, but I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual morality, eat food, sacrifice to idols. Let me remind you the context again of the early churches. They had this, it was a polytheistic culture where they had many gods, and depending on what you needed, you went and worshiped at that temple, okay? Not to be too R-rated, but if you worshiped the god of fertility, you went and you partook and you did adulterous acts at the temples, okay? Unfortunately, this was very common practice in Asia Minor, Okay? Um, this is the culture to which Jesus is speaking and that this church has been planted. So the people of the way, that's who the Christians were, the people of the way, they followed Jesus, right? I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right? The people of the way were to live totally different, right? And they would totally be noticed as living totally separate from what the culture around them was living. So Jesus is serious about sin. He's speaking about sin among the family. And he's very serious about those, hear me, that would lead others to tolerate sin and lead others astray. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 6? He says, but whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me, who believe in me, to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone tied fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Let's unpack that a little bit. Jesus is saying, it's better for that person to have a huge stone hung around their neck and fall and drown into the sea than for them to lead one of a young believer astray. Make sense? This is why it is incumbent upon leadership. It's incumbent upon the leadership of our church to make sure that we don't lead anyone astray but that we hold fast and hold true to the word of God and the Holy Spirit's leadership. And let me tell you, our leadership is committed to doing so. Your personal sin is serious. Absolutely. It breaks the heart of God. I spoke about this last week. (laughs) But Jesus has no tolerance for those who lead others astray. 
anyone or anything that would lead you from deep abiding relationship with him, he comes with exactly what he said, with a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze. You say, Pastor, this is heavy. Yeah, Jesus is saying it. And I hope you know this. I will never skip over the hard words of Jesus. Okay? They're hard words to me too, but they're words that we need to hear. Okay? He's full of grace and truth. So hear me. Whenever I say today, I'm saying out of love for you, the body, the family of Jesus. So what does this mean in the family of Jesus? I don't, I mean, none of you probably want a millstone fastened around you and thrown into the sea, right? I mean, no one wants that to happen. Those who, what does this mean? Practically, it means those who insist on serving their kingdom, wanting their way and above Jesus's way, and they lead others to serve their own kingdom. Jesus is saying there is no tolerance for that. There's no tolerance for that. Those who pursue their own pleasures and their own purposes, Jesus says, the church cannot tolerate this. Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 7, you were running the race so well, he's speaking to the church of Galatia, who has held you back from following the truth, he asked. It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough, right, and corrupts it. And so we, will all, we always, as a church, need to make sure that we follow God's gracious guidelines for us, not because we're legalistic people. No, we're, if someone falls into sin, if someone uh, is in that, then we want to restore them gently, Paul says. And so we need to be serious about stopping those who would lead little ones astray. Amen? Secondly, Jesus, you can write this down, calls us to repentance, Here's the, what we know about the character of God. In fact, we're going to be studying this next week in Exodus 34 in the core class, that the Lord, the Lord God is compassionate. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He reveals his character of who he is. Look at what Jesus, we see that even that compassion and slow to anger right here. He says, I gave her time to repent, verse 21, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. See, Jesus is abundantly patient with us. He not only calls us, but he gives us every opportunity to repent. Do you remember what Peter said? How many times should I forgive my brother? What does Jesus say? One time, then be done with him. I shall smite him. That's not what he says at all, does he? He says seven times seven, right? 70 times seven, right? And we know that those are numbers of completion. So what is, he, what is he saying? He's saying you just keep forgiving. You keep forgiving because the Father's heart is a forgiving heart. It is compassionate. So Jesus is saying in this church, he's saying, look, I've given this Jezebel some time to repent. I've given her some time. Did anybody deal with somebody who repeatedly offends over and over and over? And over, and over, and over, and over, and over, and over. Right? What, what does Jesus say here? He says, you give time to repent. You give time to repent. We speak the truth in love, 
but we give time to repent. Okay? Now look what he says. She does not, what's the word? Want to. She doesn't want to repent. Now this is the hard truth, guys. You and I cannot force repentance on someone who does not want it. The reason your friend is struggling with habitual sin over and 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 and it seems like they're running in the complete opposite direction of the Lord is because they don't want the Lord. They don't want it. Now hear me, I'm going to say something very similar to that and and this this is so true we need to realize too. There are also those who absolutely love Jesus and are running towards him but they are still struggling with habitual sin. And in their humanness, and in their fallenness, and in their brokenness, they are still struggling, but they do not want to do it. Do you hear me? There's a difference between those two. There's a difference between the Jezebel among us, and there's a difference between the saint who is struggling with this particular sin because of addiction. Are y'all hearing me? Okay? And the difference is the heart. The difference is the want to. Okay? The question is, is the saint who's struggling with that, are they a Roman 7, Paul, I do the things I don't want to do and the things I want to do, I don't do? Is that where they're at? But they're wanting to glorify God. They're wanting to honor him. That's their heart's desire. But, but, but in the fallenness, because we live in a human address, right, that, that there's a brokenness there as well, and maybe they have had this habitual sin for a while, but they are, they're submitting that to the lordship of Christ, but they still trip and they still fall. Do you hear me? The difference is the heart. Who are they running towards? Whose kingdom are they seeking to build? This is very, very important when we're dealing with the saints. It's very, very important when we're dealing with the body of Christ. So the question is a matter of the will, a matter of the heart, Do they want to repent? It doesn't mean that they're never going to offend again. It doesn't mean that they're ever going to sin again. That's not what we're talking about. No, we know that far different if we live the human life more than a few minutes. See, the question is the heart. She, speaking of Jezebel in this passage, does not want to turn away from her sin. In fact, she's running in the total opposite direction. Not only is she delighting in her sin, but she wants others to delight in her sin with her. And Jesus says there is no tolerance for that. If you want to bring the discipline of the Lord upon yourself quicker than anything, you start not only delighting in your sin, but you bring others to delight in your sin as well. And I will guarantee you, one way or the other, you will experience the discipline of the Lord if you are a true saint. If you're truly a part of the family of Jesus. Now, if not, then you need to ask yourself that and question that. So, in fact, she's running in the total opposite direction She is trying to get others to sin with her, and this demonstrates no act of repentance. Listen, you can write this down. Repentance is first in the heart. It's not first in the action. Repentance starts in the heart, broken over our sin, over the disconnect between us and the Father, that the relationship with the Father has been broken, that there there has an encumbrance there. A disconnect with the Father who created us, the Son who redeemed us, and the Spirit who lives in us. 
is what sin does. Now here, repentance doesn't just start in the heart, but repentance bears fruit, right? You can't just say, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to, and I'm just going to will myself to it, right? We know that. Because apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't be transformed. But here is what we know. Apostle, not the apostle, but John the Baptist was writing uh, and preaching, right, the forerunner of Christ in Luke 3.9. He says, even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. Jesus echoes this, by the way, in John 15. What should we do? This is what the people replied. So John's preaching this message of repentance for the kingdom of God is at hand because literally Jesus is coming, right? And so he's preaching this message of repentance and baptizing the, and baptism of repentance to show that they have a heart that is turning towards the kingdom of God and away from their own. And so they properly respond when they hear this preaching. They say, what shall we do? John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? And he replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. What should we do, asked some soldiers. John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. Let's continue on. If you're a student, quit cheating. Quit trying to circumvent. If you're a businessman, Don't try to get extra gain for yourself or be dishonest. You see the echo of how this would go, right? If you work for your employer, give your employer his due, right? A good day's labor, right? You see, this is an echo in keeping with repentance versus who you once were, but you've been transformed by the kingdom of God. You see Jesus as the treasure that he is, and because because you want to follow him, you want to follow his ways, And so repentance bears fruit. And if you're tempted to think that Jesus doesn't speak harsh words with keeping with fruit, look at John 15. He says the same thing. The trees that don't bear fruit will be cut off, will be pruned, will be thrown into the fire. So what should you do in keeping with repentance? So repentance starts in the heart, but it also bears fruit. Also, you can write this down. Jesus gives authority to the faithful. Now he says, this whole church, not everybody is is following Jezebel. Right? Not everybody's doing that. There are some who are holding fast. There's a remnant who is holding fast. And he says uh, in verse 25, Revelation 2, only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. So Jesus is promising to those who hold fast, who who resist the temptation of Jezebel, to the remnant of this church, he's promising and saying, guess what? You will be given authority in the new heaven, the new earth. And you will rule with a rod of iron. 
okay? So I don't know what that looks like. Does that mean that the faithful are going to get a giant rod? I don't, you know, is that a sword that we rule with, a giant scepter? We don't know the specifics of that, but we know its effects as when earthen pots are broken into pieces, right? And so Jesus is very serious about this authority, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. For some reason, it seems like we shy away from this word authority in churches. I don't know if y'all have noticed this. Now, I think we know why, right? We see abuses from, I'm just trying to think, should I name drop? Yeah, sure. Um, we see abuses from guys like Kenneth Copeland, right, you know, who use like, you, you've been given authority. Now, you need to exercise that authority, right? And, and, I mean, he's just straight up a false teacher, okay? So, let's just call him what he is. Um, but don't get away from the biblical principle of authority, okay? Because Jesus is very clear that he has given us authority. Multiple times, the Great Commission, right? Before he said, go therefore into all the earth, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he extends that authority to his believers to go and tell the gospel to the world, Right? He extends that authority. He gives his apostles, his disciples, authority before he sends them on the mission trip two by two to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to preach the good news to the poor. Remember this? So church, let's not resist this word authority because I know all growing up the way I was, like when you hear authority, it's like, oh, ooh, hold on, hold on a second. I don't have authority. That's not true. The believer has authority. That's biblical, okay? That's biblical. We're not to be timid, mild Christians. We are to be bold Christians. Apostle Paul says to young Timothy, who was a bit, a bit timid, he said, I have not given you a spirit, God has not given you a spirit of fear or timidity or weakness, but I have given you, uh, God says, I've given you a, a spirit of power, okay? That's the same word that we get dynamite from, explosive power. I've given you power, a spirit of power, of love, and self-control, that describes how the believer should walk. So Jesus is promising authority in the future, but I also want to remind you that Jesus gives authority to the faithful today. I think we don't pray with this kind of authority in mind because we don't have intimacy with the Lord. And this is because we don't understand our identity in him. You see, the, the, the authority is what happens when you understand who you are in the Lord, and because you understand you have this intimacy with the Father through the Son, and you're walking according to the Spirit, and because you're doing that day in and day out, you then experience the authority and the boldness of walking with the Lord. And then you pray that way. Then you're not praying with the spirit of fear. Oh, God, if you can, would you please, wishful thinking like he's a genie in the bottle, because he's not. God, I pray to you, the Lord of the universe, the master of all, the creator of all, the one who holds the world in his hands, who just spoke the word and the stars came into being. I pray to you, the one who covenanted with his people Israel, who over and over, even though they walked away, you stayed faithful with his said, never-ending love. That's who I pray to. I pray to Yahweh, the personal God, the God who breathed life into man, and man was. I pray to the God of David, who even though 
commit adultery with Bathsheba. You said he was a man after God's own heart, that he showed and displayed repentance, and that you had intimacy with him and forgave him. I pray to the God of Mary who said, may it be as you have said. Do you see the difference? By the way, how you address God reveals so much about who you are and what you think of him. That's a very, (laughs) not a distorted quote. That's a a version of a quote from A.W. Tozer. (laughs) Basically, whatever comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. That defines, right? That's essentially what his quote was. And so, We have to understand that we don't get to this place of of, of authority, and I'm talking about the here and now. We don't understand this, and we don't act this, and we don't flesh this out because we don't understand our identity in him. Let me give you an example this way. Have a policeman ever pulled you over? Brian's like, no, that's never happened to me. No, no, not at all, right? Okay, there's been a few times, right? Right, I'm sure that you've been pulled over, okay? Okay. Now, when he comes up to you, sir, ma'am, roll down, you know, okay, you were speeding, right? You were, doing a, you were doing 75 and a 55, right? Is there any reason for your hurry today? Isn't that the question? I mean, a kind officer says, you know, is there any reason why you're in such a hurry? Yeah, because this just happened to me a few weeks ago, by the way. Um, right there at Central Heights? Yeah. Um, so let me tell you the whole story. My dad was having that memory lapse episode that was going on. My mom was kind of freaking out, blah, blah, blah. So it was legit. I'm just letting you know. I want to give you the whole context. Context is important, right? And I said, yes, sir. I'm, I'm actually trying to race to my dad's house because he's having this episode, blah, 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 blah. Of course, the officer was very, very kind, right? But still, the officer was within his authority to stop me because why? Because I broke the law. Didn't matter if I had a good reason for breaking the law or a bad reason for breaking the law. Bottom line is what? I broke the law. Now, the law doesn't say, if you go and look up the, the code, the state code doesn't say, well, in case someone's parent is having an episode of a mild manner, then you should let them go. Does it say that? No. Right? So the policeman, where does he get his authority? He gets his authority from the law. Who wrote the law? State elected representatives wrote the law. Who elected the representatives? The, gov- the, the, the people. So they, they govern by the consent of the people who have elected them as state representatives and, and, and basically entered into a covenant that says, we will abide by this law, right? Whether you know it or not, the moment you get your driver's license, the moment you get on the road, you're entering into a covenant with the state that says, I will abide by the laws of this state. In fact, you can't get your license unless you check that box and sign on that line to say, I will abide by the motorist laws of this state. That's important, right? So the officer gets his authority from the law. The law gets its authority from the people via the elected representatives. Listen. The Godhead has perfect peace and absolute authority as creator, redeemer, conqueror, and sustainer. He has commissioned his family to spread the truth of the gospel and to protect the body, just like a police officer does. They called peace, 
right? Peacekeeping officer, right? To keep the peace. We are to walk in that authority, speaking the truth in love, modeling servanthood, and coming alongside those who struggle and restore them gently. Not overreacting, right? Not fearful, but boldly, truthfully, faithfully serving with the goal of all growing up in maturity in Christ for his glory and our good. The reason the police officer gives me a ticket is because he wants to correct that, doesn't he? Because he doesn't want me driving 80 miles an hour running into other people. The reason that God gives the guidelines that he gives, let's get specific with sexual immorality, the reason that he gives those things, that he says one man, one woman, for one life, the reason he says that is to protect you and others. Make sense? And we have the authority of his word. And the authority that we have as believers comes from this authority that has been given to us. And hear me, God's goal for you is to grow up in him. Paul's very clear about that. He says, I wish that everybody would grow up into maturity so that they can know God on such a deep and intimate level and walk according to his spirit. So when God gives what he says here, it is out of his heart and his love for you and out of protection for you and the body of Christ. Amen? Let's pray.